Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this edition of News in Focus is your host, Chris Long. And welcome, and we're glad you've joined us for this edition of News in Focus. Actually coming to you from Columbus, Ohio today, as I'm going to give testimony on what is called the Never Alone Act. That's House Bill 236. State Representative Melanie Miller, State Representative Beth Lear introduced this bill that will give assurances to Ohio uh, residents of hospitals, nursing homes, assisted living centers, that we will never repeat what happened during the COVID-19 shutdown. And that is our loved ones were in hospitals, nursing homes, and assisted living centers without visitation and without somebody by their side, even so much that some actually passed away and had no one at their bedside. We can't let that happen again. That's why we support the Never Alone Act. I'll be giving testimony on that today. In fact, you want to learn more on our website at ohioca.org or just search Ohio Christian Alliance. Also want to tell you about the upcoming Freedom Banquet. It's on February 22nd at the Akron Fairlawn Hilton, and we're going to have a great evening. We have Bill Fetter of the American Minute. He's going to be talking on socialism from Plato to the present. That's part of our dinner program. But starting at 6 p.m., we're going to have a candidate forum of the U.S. Senate candidates running in the Republican primary. That would be Frank LaRose, Matt Dolan, and Bernie Marino. We're also going to have the candidates running in the 13th Congressional District. That's Kevin Coughlin and Chris Banwig. But today we're going to have a little bit of that forum right now as we have with us on the phone former state senator and Northeast Ohio resident Kevin Coughlin. He is running as a candidate in the Republican primary of March 19th uh, for the 13th Congressional District. Kevin, welcome to the program. Chris, thanks very much for having me. Well, Kevin, is going to start right out. Tell us why you're running for Congress in the 13th Congressional District. Well, as you know, Chris, I've been kind of out of politics for about 13 years. I was term limited out of the Ohio Senate uh, at the end of 2010, and I decided to leave. Um, I didn't want to do the thing going back and forth between the House and the Senate. Uh, And I went out and started a business and then started another, and we've been uh, running that ever since. Um, But I'll tell you, um, obviously, like everybody and all of your listeners, I'm very concerned about the direction of our country, the unraveling of our social fabric, um, the very idea that the uh, of America being under attack, not only overseas, but here at home, Um, uh, the long term debt issues that we have in this country, obviously the border. um, And it all comes down to the people that we elect. And. I've uh, increasingly grown frustrated with Congress uh, that we have too many people there who do not want to put in the work, do not want to focus on the issues that are really facing us, and really aren't interested in getting solutions or getting things done or standing by their principles and turning them into policy. Uh, A lot of them want to be famous. A lot of them just want to be something and really don't know what they want to do. Um, A lot of them just go there and fall in line and follow orders and do whatever their leadership tells them to do. And the result is the mess that we're in right now. And it just it, it comes back to nothing is ever going to change unless we elect people who know how to get things done and people who are proven conservatives and have an ability to show that uh, demonstrate that they can stand by their principles. Well, you mentioned some of the issues that are facing our nation, of course, the national debt, the uh, defense uh, challenges that we're facing in the Middle East, also in the Far East with China 
doing saber-rattling saber uh, against our uh, ally T Taiwan. And, uh, but also on our southern border, over the last three years, it is estimated that nearly 9 million illegals have poured over the border since Joe Biden took office. What is your position on the southern border? Well, we need to secure it now. We need to finish the wall. We need to fix the asylum system. We need to bring a return to wait in Mexico uh, so that folks that are coming across the border and throwing their hands up and claiming asylum aren't given a date two or three or four years down the road and then just released into our country while they wait. Um, and, um, you know, once we do that, then you're able to sit and look at the legal immigration system and figure out how to make it work properly for people. But uh, you know, Joe Biden inexplicably opened up the borders at the beginning of his presidency and said, y'all come and uh, we're open. And he has turned our border agents into customer service representatives for these people that illegally cross. And you mentioned the numbers uh, people need to understand what that translates into. I mean, just in in December alone, about 300,000 people came into the country illegally over the southern border and were released into the interior of our country. That is more than the population of the city of Akron and, and Canton combined. Uh, that's unsustainable. And this deal that's just come out of the Senate, which thankfully is dead on arrival because the American people don't agree with it, um, that would sanction up to uh, 1.4 million illegals per year released into the country with work authorizations, um, is simply unacceptable. That's that's not a secure border policy. So, um, you know, we either have a country or we don't, and it starts with having uh, a border. Due to the federal government's lack of response to the crisis on the southern border, uh, fentanyl is pouring over the border. It, it comes to our streets. It's literally killing our young. Uh, those who are addicted on drugs, it's uh, it's just insidious of what's happening. Governor Abbott of Texas has deployed the Texas National Guard to put up barriers and razor wire to stop the flow of illegals crossing over the southern border. I mean, uh, Texas is the tip of the spear, as it were, down there. Uh, ranchers and everyone else are being overrun. Really dangerous situations. The drug cartels are the ones leading the way of bringing this uh, human trafficking over the border. Do you support Governor Abbott's efforts and what more, in your opinion, needs to happen to the nearly 9 million illegals that have entered the U.S. illegally in the last three years? Well, obviously, I think the deportation is the most likely and most um, effective scenario. You know, like I said, when people come over here, it used to be that, you know, the, the rule used to be that the first country that you came through was the one where you you applied for asylum. And then they moved, Then they said, well, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to move them on to Mexico. And then Mexico said, well, you know, go on over and cross the border. We used to have a policy, and we did when President Trump was president, where if you were claiming asylum, you made that claim while you were in Mexico before you crossed the border, and you waited in Mexico while it was being adjudicated. Um, Joe Biden finished. Joe Biden ended that policy. So I would say that for the folks that are here right now, I, I do favor deportation who have come here illegally. It is such an insult to the people that have come here legally, that have played by the rules. And that's a, another theme, I think, of this administration and the left in this country is rewarding people who have not followed the rules and punishing people who have followed the rules, whether that's immigration, as we're talking about now, or things like student loans and many other things. It seems to be a, a, a theme of theirs. 
Um, I favor National Guards uh, states sending National Guards to support what Texas is doing and Arizona and any other state that's on the front line of this. And um, um, I, I think that the police in our country need to be empowered to uh, stop these people and turn them over to ICE. The problem is right now, because of the federal policies, um, you can't turn them over to ICE because they're not going to deport them. And you know, I just had Bruce Sikowski, who's our sheriff over in Portage County, uh, share with me a photo of five 20-something-year-old male immigrants uh, passing through our district here in, in, in 13, for all we know, passing through. They claim they were on their way to New York, but who knows? Uh, they called it into the feds. The feds told them, you have to let them go. So, you know, we have no idea what these people are bringing in. You mentioned fentanyl. Um, I, I truly believe that there's an organized effort by other countries to send fentanyl into our country, to destabilize our country, to harm Americans. And as you know, that is a that is such a dangerous substance that uh, it it has it can have a deadly impact on people on contact. Uh, so you can get into all kinds of situations where fentanyl can be released into a crowded area um, and do a lot of real damage to people. And so I'm I'm very concerned about the people that are coming through here and who's in that mix uh, because I think uh, it's obviously a serious threat to our homeland security. We're talking with former state Senator Kevin Coughlin, and he is running for Congress in the 13th Congressional District uh, in the March 19th Republican primary. Uh, Kevin, when you look at the 13th District, um, this was drawn up uh, last couple of years. Uh, tell us what comprises the 13th District, what communities, what uh, counties. Yep, it's not the uh, it's not the old Tim Ryan District uh, that we had for many years. It is all of Summit County. It is the western half of Port of uh, Stark County, and a very very small part of Portage County, Mogador, and parts of Suffield Township. So, um, it's a fairly compact district. I'm kind of thankful that I'm not driving across 12 counties, uh, um, but it so you can get from end to end pretty easily. But uh, it is an urban suburban district. It is a 50-50 district. It is the only toss-up district in the state of Ohio. We, we have other opportunities to flip seats from Democrat to Republican elsewhere in Ohio, and particularly up in the Toledo area and the district that stretches across Lake Erie. Um, that's a plus seven Republican district, and we need to win it, and we ought to win it. Um, this is the only one that's a truly 50-50 district. So again, that's the 13th Congressional District, the March 19th primary. Uh, early voting begins when, Kevin? Early voting starts uh, around February 20th, I believe. Uh, military votes uh, overseas are starting already. So uh, when you get out and talk to the folks of the 13th District, obviously in Summit County and also in Stark County, what are you hearing from voters? What are What is their chief concerns right now? I mean, we consider inflation. Uh, the housing market is uh, basically unreachable for young people as uh, market value uh, or of the homes have increased, inflation, and yet wages uh, haven't increased that much. And so, and banks aren't lending and they're requiring a much bigger down payment. So there is kind of a housing crisis going on right now. Uh, what are you hearing from voters when you go around the district? What are they talking about? 
it, it's uh, the number one issue overwhelmingly is the cost of everyday life. And people seem to understand the connection between the government's inability to rein in their spending um, and, frankly, the government's um, very proactive effort over the last several years to just dump dollops of money all over the country uh, and drive up prices. And so people are feeling that you know, with, with cars, people are feeling that in their homes and with, with uh, interest rates, certainly at the grocery store. Um, and it's becoming a real problem for people. I hear that regularly. The second thing I hear is the border. It used to be a regional issue, and now it's a national issue because we're all border states. And the third issue that I hear about is election security. People are really concerned about uh, foreign influence of our elections. People are concerned about um, hyper-partisanship in our states uh, taking hold and uh, Democrats in particular trying to gain an advantage or to disadvantage Republicans in their states. And uh, it's a real concern. And I think really all of this wraps up into one overall concern that I hear everywhere I go. And, and to be honest with you, it's not limited to just Republicans. People are really frustrated with the lack of responsible political leadership in this country. And I think most people would think would define that is as dedicated to the principles of our democracy, focused on the issues that people care about and actually bringing something to the table so that you can do something about those, really working on those issues and not just acting like you're working on those issues. Um, and I just feel like, um, I think they're right. I think, I think if you, anybody who's looked at Congress over the last couple of years, their inability to pass proper budgets, uh, continuing to do these resolutions every quarter that just throw more money at the bureaucrats, their inability to rein in the federal agencies and get control of the rules and regulations that are passed by them without any congressional oversight, um, their inability even to elect the speaker, you know, uh, it's embarrassing. It is, it is uh, troubling for the future of our country and our ability to get our country back and to restore America. And um, um, I feel that um, what I'm hearing is that they're really looking for people who know what they're doing, who know how to get something done. So when we look at the uh, national debt, and you talked about government runaway spending over the last number of years. I forget how many. It was like something like $16 trillion during COVID. Uh, I heard one figure as high as that, uh, and another $7 trillion here. This is, it's now the national debt is at $34 trillion. The interest on the loan itself a day uh, is compounding, and it's, it's astronomical. So we've got a real financial problem in this country. Uh, what should Congress do to address the $34 trillion national debt, in your opinion? Well, first and foremost, we should have a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution. Um, I, I operated here in a state that has a balanced budget uh, requirement, and we met that requirement every time. Um, many states do that, and it is beyond me that anyone in a position of public trust would spend money, money that you don't have. Um, the second thing we need to do is pass proper budgets in, in Washington, D.C. We need to get back to a full budget process where you're doing annual budgets with proper oversight uh, from the budget committees. Uh, and third, um, there have to be entitlement reforms. And I know the Democrats are cheering right now that they're hearing me say that. But anyone with eyes uh, and an honest heart can understand that when half of your budget is being spent, on Medicaid and Social Security, 
and it's going to go broke uh, very, very quickly, which isn't going to mean that they're going to go away, but it's going to mean that the that the benefits that people get are going to be cut. Um, you have to start thinking about the sustainability of those programs for people who really need them. And so th- there's got to be real adult conversations about these things um, and proposals put forward with binding votes for Congress to vote on. Um, and then I, I, I mentioned regulatory oversight. At the heart of what's wrong with our government today, Chris, in my opinion, is that Congress really has given away most of its power and most of its oversight in my lifetime uh, for the last 50 years. And by that, I mean that most of the things that you and I think of as laws are really passed not by Congress, but by the agencies. And there's 600-some agencies out there doing these um, passing regulations. Some of them are are duplicate regulations. Some of them are inconsistent with each other. Um, many of them are far beyond the intent of Congress uh, or even their legal authority. And, you know, Congress's idea of oversight right now is if we don't like what you're doing and it's high profile enough, we're going to pull you into a hearing and kind of shake our fist at you and yell at you, and then nothing happens. That's theater. What we need is actual formal oversight so that regulations and rules can't go into effect until they're they're approved by a congressional body. And I don't mean all of Congress has to do this. I mean, there should be a joint committee whose sole job is to review these things and approve them with certain standards. And also, I think every rule should come up for renewal like that every five years and have to be approved by have congressional approval. We do that in Ohio. Almost all 50 states do that. And they require legislative approval in some form for any regulation and any rule that any executive agency passes. Um, this is a this empowerment of bureaucracies and not passing proper budgets, just throwing money into that system is how this has gotten away from us for so long. And, and somebody's just got to go. And, it, and what it's going to mean at the end of the day is that maybe 30 or 40 members of Congress are going to have to work a lot harder because they're going to have to make that their mission. And that's going to become really their reason for being in D.C., but it's vitally important. We're talking with Kevin Coughlin. He is a candidate for the 13th Congressional District on the March 19th Republican primary. Kevin, what is your position on abortion, uh, is our next question. This last year, Ohioans voted on what was called a reproductive rights amendment, but actually it was legalizing abortion, some would argue, to the ninth month of pregnancy, taking us back to the dark days of Roe v. Wade and beyond. In fact, we have the worst abortion laws currently in the entire country, uh, equal to North Korea. Uh, so what is your position in ab- on abortion after we've been through all this here in Ohio? Thanks for asking, Chris. Thanks for all the work you've done on this, too. Um, I'm, I'm pro-life. Uh, I had a strong pro-life record in the legislature for 14 years that I was there. Uh, I either co-sponsored or voted for every allowable Roe v. Wade state restriction. Um, and uh, some of those, uh, most of those were, we think, probably struck down uh, with the um, with the constitutional amendment last fall. Um, I think some of them are under review. Um, look, I think life is precious. My faith tells me that we have been created uh, in the uh, image of our of our creator. And 
what that means is that life is beautiful and life is meaningful and precious. And uh, when you that that is one of the things that our country has been founded on the idea that people have rights not that are given by government but by God, and that extends to people who aren't born yet. So, um, you know, I I think to turn political on it. Uh, this is a hot button issue for the Democrats because they really don't want to talk about anything else. They don't want to talk about inflation. They don't want to talk about crime. They don't want to talk about the border. And so um, they're going to take anybody that is, that is pro-life and they're going to try to paint them as extremists. They've already done that with me. From the day that I got in this race, the DCCC in D.C. and the Ohio Democratic Party have uh, sent, uh, you know, every couple weeks they've sent uh, uh, press releases and social media hits against me for being an anti-abortion extremist. And here's what they here's what they claim makes me an extremist. I voted against using taxpayer dollars for abortions. Now, personally, I don't know how, what you think about that, Chris, but I think that's a non-controversial issue. That's um, correct. Uh, and and they have um, tagged me as an extremist because I've been in, endorsed in the past by the Ohio Right to Life, and I've been endorsed by in this race by people like Jim Jordan, great conservatives like Jim Jordan and conservative groups, and um, so guilt by association. Look, I, I think what was passed this past fall, um, obviously, you know, you can say, well, the voters have spoken, but I really do believe that most people do not understand the extent of what has just been placed in our Constitution. I don't think it represents a consensus of where we are as Ohioans. And I think we as a pro-life movement have to think about what our next step is going forward, what our message needs to be, what our emphasis needs to be. I think we certainly need to focus on not only the abortion question, but also questions of um, uh, how we promote quality life and how we help people who are decisions decision toward life. And so the work in the, that the pregnancy centers do is very important and needs to be supported and needs to be defended. Um, J.D. Vance is starting some conversations about free birth and, and things like that. I, I think these are all important parts to bring in to the conversation. But uh, through it all, um, never, ever give up the, the principle of standing by the right to life. Well, thank you. We appreciate that very much. Uh, let me ask you a question. How do people follow your campaign? Give your website and uh, maybe a couple of events you're going to be at here uh, coming up in the next week or two. Sure. Um, our campaign website is kevincoglin.com. That last name is C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N.com. Um, and, of course, we're all over Facebook and Instagram and X. Um, as far as events over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing some meet and greets as we go forward. But uh, um, I know we're going to be at your event uh, on the 22nd, which I'm looking forward to. And you're catching me off guard because I don't have my calendar in front of me <laughs> to see where where we're going to be uh, speaking. But we will put the, that information out on our social media if folks want to follow along. And, and oh, that's great. That's be. that's a good thing to do. So, folks, you can get out there and meet with Kevin in person and ask him uh, the questions you would like to ask him. Well, Kevin, thank you for being my guest today. And, uh, again, we look forward to having you with us on the 22nd at the Akron Fairlawn Hilton, our candidate forum, and our dinner program of the Ohio Christian Alliance, the annual Freedom Banquet. And, folks, you can register for that at our website at ohioca.org, and uh, we hope that you'll come out and join us. Kevin, again, thank you for being my guest today.
Thanks, Chris. We'll see you soon. Thank you. God bless. Again, that was Kevin Coughlin, candidate for the 13th Congressional District, uh, running in the Republican primary on the uh, March 19th primary. In fact, uh, the Ohio Christian Alliance has surveyed all the candidates running for office and running for Congress, running for the Ohio House, the Ohio Senate, also the U.S. Senate. Uh, We are going to have that information on our website uh, the week of uh, February 20th. We'll have the voter guide up electronically. You'll be able to review it there. Uh, And we're waiting for the um, surveys to be returned. In fact, uh, over 300 candidates were uh, surveyed statewide. And as they come in, then we go through the information. We do not endorse, but we do provide the information. And then you decide. And, of course, you have to be registered to do that. So if you're not registered, go to the Secretary of State's website and register to vote. We'll be right back on the other side with Chris Banweg, who's also running for Congress in the 13th District. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Chris Long, host of News in Focus, announcing my new book, For Their Honor, how the D-Day prayer was added to the World War II Memorial. This book tells the 11-year story of how one of the largest mass prayers in history was added to the World War II Memorial. The D-Day prayer was one of FDR's fireside chats, but it stands alone as an incredible moment in American history. The date was June 6, 1944. Operation Overlord, the D-Day invasion of Western France, was already underway by the Allied nations. News reports throughout the day were released from General Eisenhower's headquarters with short statements but with few details on what was happening with the landings and on the beaches of France. The American public anxiously awaited throughout the day to hear from President Roosevelt for more details on the historic invasion. What they heard that evening was a president inviting them to join him in prayer. This book will inspire and encourage your faith. You can order yours today at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. America is kept safe because the Army National Guard responds, protects, and supports our nation when it needs them most. From fighting wildfires with air support, helping civilians in flooded neighborhoods, to delivering food and supplies to those who have lost everything, the Army National Guard always responds when disaster strikes. The Army National Guard also trains to be ever vigilant against threats, foreign and domestic. They protect our skies with missile defense weaponry. They secure our information, communications and infrastructure with cybersecurity. And they protect us against chemical, biological and radiological hazards with the civilian support team. The Army National Guard also stands ready to deploy and provide support for conflicts or humanitarian missions abroad. Join the Army National Guard and be there to respond, protect, and support your community and your country. Visit NationalGuard.com to learn more about part-time service. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. And we're back. And we're going to be talking with Chris Banwig. He is a city councilman from Hudson. And he also is a candidate in the 13th Congressional District primary, the Republican primary, on March 19th. Chris, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, first, uh, thanks for having me on today. It's an honor to be on the show and be able to share about the campaign. I'm sure your listeners have likely never heard of a bandwig before because there are only six of us in the United States and five of them live in my house. Uh, at the end of World War II, when the communists took over Yugoslavia, they imprisoned my grandfather in a starvation and work camp with a bunch of other farmers when they took their lands. And he ended up escaping to meet up with his fiance in Austria, where they married, had my dad, 
and applied for refugee status in the U.S. It was granted, and they started life here out of three wooden boxes in Stowe. That's why you don't often hear the name Banwick. Well, that's quite that's quite a, a history and a way to get to the land of the free. We're glad that your grandfather was able to make that journey. Uh, Chris, tell us why you're running for Congress in the 13th District. Well, I'll say, uh, growing up with the stories of my grandfather and the fact that not only did he escape, but he escaped frequently to bring back food for the other prisoners. Now, when you grow up around that type of family, you can't help but understand the responsibility you have to do hard things when they need to be done. Um, This little journey began with somebody asking me to do it, and it wasn't something I had aspired to do, but looking at the state of our nation, looking at the challenges to people, looking at the American dream and the opportunity at the American dream that I've been able to live going away for so many people, I felt compelled to be a part of renewing that, fixing it. I, I know that you uh, have a military background. You're a veteran. Is that right? Yes, uh, Chris, that's correct. And, and that feeds right into why I felt like this would be a, a worthy endeavor. Um, I spent three combat tours overseas. I've been in the Marine Corps now as a counterinsurgency and government stabilization expert for a little over 20 years. So when uh, when I look at what's happening here and the, the need that we have in our own government, I never thought I'd have to use those skills here in America. But it looks like now is the time. We're talking with Chris Banwig. He is a city councilman in the city of Hudson. He is a candidate for the 13th Congressional District. That will be the March 19th primary on the Republican side. He is facing off against Kevin Coughlin, uh, who we just heard from earlier this hour. Chris, um, what is your position on the southern border? (laughs) I, I think it is the most immediate threat we face as a nation. I think it needs immediate action. When people have asked me what my biggest concerns in our country are, the greatest strategic threat to us is our our level of debt and our spending. But you can't get to addressing that if you don't secure the nation you have. As a professional in national defense and foreign policy, I would tell you that one of the greatest indicators of a nation and the strength of a nation is its ability to control its own border. And we have nearly surrendered that. And once you can't control that, it's hard to really put any credibility to controlling the peace or the safety of anyone within your borders. And that, Chris, is a concept that goes back to medieval times. This isn't a new concept of wanting to protect your own borders. Well, that's right. Uh, Let me uh, take you through this question. Due to the federal government's lack of response to the crisis on the southern border, Governor Abbott of Texas has deployed the Texas National Guard to put up barriers and razor wire to stop the flow of illegals crossing the southern border. Uh, do you support Governor Abbott? This is a two-part question. Do you support Governor Abbott's efforts? And what more, in your opinion, needs to happen uh, to the nearly 9 million illegals that have already entered the U.S. illegally over the last three years? Well, and in two parts of response, Chris, appreciate the questions. Yes, I, I do support us at, at the state level taking action where the federal government is not. I'm a big proponent for states' rights and individual rights, so 
when the federal government in particular is failing to protect the individual rights of their citizens or even the, the property rights of their citizens, it is, uh, it's showing a failure. And it, I appreciate that the state is stepping up to fill that gap for our citizens. Now, the second part is when you break the law, you're held accountable to the law. If we don't have a single-tiered justice system, if we continue to operate as a nation with this two-tiered justice system of not upholding it for certain people but enforcing the law on others, we don't really have a core culture. Right? We, we've divided our nation. So to answer your question, I think all those who've entered illegally need to be held accountable to the law. And that may mean, for many of them, going back to where they came from. I'll tell you, in my time in Iraq and uh, around the Syrian civil war, the Syrian refugee crisis, in my position, there was one of the challenges I had to wrestle with. And again, as a professional who works in government and regional stabilization, the truth is the most stable you get is to stay where you are from. I mean, when Syrian refugees started to flow into other nations, they started to destabilize those nations because you're starting to eat away at the culture and the stability, the resources, the infrastructure, when the real solution is to try to make the, the source or the place where they're coming from better. Now, what I found is in a lot of cases here, the reason people are coming here is for a better financial future. And if you know my family's history of being refugees imprisoned by communists, that, that's a refugee status, right? That's legitimate. So I have an appreciation yes, right. for people. I absolutely appreciate people who are being um, oppressed and legitimately treated inhumanely. But for the convenience of a better financial future, that's, that's not enough to grant you status to bypass any system to get into another country. So President Trump announced, uh, as he's running for president again, he has announced uh, support for mass deportation of those who have crossed the border illegally. Do you support uh, mass deportation, those, of, those who have uh, crossed the border illegally over the last three years? I think, simply put, I do. Um, there is still another a, a gentleman I am working to help, somebody I worked with, an Afghan national, who put in the work, helped our nation, can't get over here legally. Somebody I've been working with who's been fleeing the Taliban since the uh, abysmal withdrawal from Afghanistan. I can't get him here, and we are saddling ourselves with helping people who've come here for convenience reasons. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It's like, you know, when people do it the right way, they're being put on the at the end of the line and those who are breaking all of our laws and pouring over the border and bringing drugs with them and problems and even diseases. We have diseases we haven't seen in decades resurging in the continental United States. People need to wake up to this, Chris. I, it's a question I've asked both you and Kevin, but these are the issues that people are facing, and, that, and you know, Americans are starting to wake up and realize, hey, we got a problem here. And a lot of these people, they're, they're military age, and they're coming from multi-nations. We don't know what their intent is. We don't know how many terrorists could be pouring over that border. And the Biden administration has been, uh, you know, not just looking the other way. They've actually been aiding and abetting uh, the uh, pouring of illegals into our country. And it's it's outrageous, and people are really upset about it. So, yeah, it's going to become a very hot uh, campaign topic for sure. 
I'm sure you get that question. With that, I want to ask you, as you get around the district of the 13th, which takes in Summit County and part of Stark County, uh, the 13th Congressional District, what are you hearing from voters as you go out and talk to the folks? What are they saying to you? I think you're absolutely right about the border crisis and the extent of the illegal immigration and, and the risk you've described, too, because we're not following a process, right? And I think an underlying theme in everything folks are concerned about is that we are we're bypassing the law and the process we put in place. So to be very pointed uh, and answer directly the topics people are concerned with, they're concerned with closing the border. They're concerned with fixing our economy, which is having jobs here, jobs that could sustain a family, how we've hollowed out our economy. And we're further hollowing it out with this excess of spending that's driving inflation and becomes a hidden tax on every working family in America. So across all those things is getting our nation and our government and leaders refocused on taking care of the American working family. The last piece there that I hear from people is there degraded faith in our institutions because of things like our two-tier justice system. We're not prosecuting violent criminals. We're not enforcing the law in many cases. And what we're seeing is targeted uses of justice to persecute certain individuals or certain groups of people. And without faith in the government that is here to protect you and your equal rights with all the other citizens, they feel like they have little hope in the future of our nation. I think, and what I've heard from them, is they need leadership with integrity. They need equal treatment, fair treatment under the law, and the enforcement of the law. They need us to focus on our own economy, growing the jobs that we can here domestically, and a foreign policy that protects that, not in a, a fake way, but in one that treats our economies fairly, where we're not being cannibalized by the Chinese. You mentioned earlier about the national debt being a national security issue. Uh, the, the national debt stands at $34 trillion, and the debt clock is just, uh, uh, you know, just circling around as far as the numbers keep growing, even our interest owned on the debt. Uh, so the runaway spending has created this, uh, this debt. What do you think Congress should do to address the $34 trillion in national debt? I think, one, we need to stop the bleeding, right? We need to get back to the regular order of business and do um, individual spending bills so that we know what we're spending on and we're making good decisions that are prioritized around the resources we have rather than omnibus bills and never-ending continuous resolutions. I believe if you have to get to that point of negotiating, it should always be bringing it back toward that regular order of business where we do individual spending bills. I think what many people don't appreciate is that when we saddle ourselves with this debt, it's not just about the economic impact, but what I've seen even from the Marine Corps side is it eliminates our ability to adapt. And I'll say that without discretionary spending, because it's all tied up in debt and legally mandated expenses, when the Marine Corps in the East wanted to transition into a force that could respond to a Chinese threat potentially or a threat in Southeast Asia, the ability to invest and in, call it underwater submersible vehicles to resupply, there's no money because it's all tied up in paying debt. So they had to get rid of the tanks in order to fund a change or an adaptation in our military. So the true 
risk we have is not being able to adapt to the world changing around us. We're talking with Chris Banwig. He is a councilman from the city of Hudson, but he is a candidate for the 13th Congressional District Republican primary on March 19th. Uh, Chris, as we look at all these issues that obviously are facing the American people, facing uh, Congress, uh, when you're out and talking to folks, is there other issues that they're bringing up to you that is of their concern? We can see runaway inflation currently uh, is hitting everybody as far as just uh, their everyday expenses, uh, as everything's are more in the uh, in the uh, grocery stores and across the board. What are voters telling you is their chief concern right now? Well, aside from the foreign and domestic issues, one thing to emphasize is that if we keep sending the same type of professional politicians to Congress, which is, you know, our historic state legislators who spent their whole lives trying to work their way up the ladder, we'll have the same people trying to get us out of the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. We can't keep sending those same people and then wonder why things don't change. I think in particular for this race, the person that wins the Republican primary will have to take on Amelia Sykes, who is not only a career politician, but comes from a family of career politicians. And you can't beat a career politician in a political dynasty with just another career politician. Our best chance at winning is to give the voters a real alternative, to give them something authentic. So... um that's that's right. Um, folks are wanting somebody real that that represents them in Congress. That's for sure. We're talking about the 13th congressional district, and that's the Republican primary on March 19th. I want to turn a uh, corner here, Chris. What is your position on abortion? In, in last year, Ohioans voted for what was called the Reproductive Rights Amendment. It is a radical abortion amendment that legalized abortion, in some people's opinion, uh, to the ninth month of pregnancy. The courts. Uh, and the lawsuits are going to start flooding in about about that issue. Uh, but many say that Ohio now has the worst abortion laws in the country, actually uh, equal to North Korea. What is your position on abortion? Well, I, I am a pro-life candidate, Chris, and I know that there's a lot of questions that go behind that. I, I will say that I am when I say pro-life, I think it's more than just our position on abortion. I think our nation struggles with the morality of abortion because they haven't had to really think about it in about 50 years since Roe v. Wade came into in, into existence, right? But now that it's been put back to the people and to the states, I think it is something we're going to wrestle with. I think the most important element of it to me is you can't just legislate morality. Legislation reflects the morality of society. I think the effort, the the focus is education and the hearts and minds of the people so that people now that they're wrestling with this issue understand the implications of the decisions that they're making and they're able to appreciate the negative aspects of abortion. Now, too, when I say it's not just about abortion, which is crucial in the pro-life movement, it's also about our culture in America and why it costs so much to live and it's so cheap to deal death or to offer that option. I think we really need to look at the economy that we have and the financial incentives we have that push so many people into that direction. So uh, would you? what do you think about uh, 
funding of federal funding of abortion or uh, funding Planned Parenthood? What's your position on that? Well, I think um, funding Planned Parenthood is something that we shouldn't be doing as a nation. There are enough people who are not supportive of their tax dollars funding Planned Parenthood, funding abortions. Um, there are some aspects, contraception, that are valuable. But what we're seeing is that predominance of that money going to not only funding the abortions, but marketing for abortion. So I'd like to uh, turn the corner here a little bit again. Um, you know, what we've heard about recently, you know, in the corporate world is DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, this happens in the corporate boardroom and how it happens at the human resource departments and companies. But when it gets down to in our local schools, it's critical race theory. And, uh, you know, many parents are alarmed about this. Uh, what is your position on what's called critical race theory in public schools? And do you think that Congress could take action about that issue? Well, I think I have kids in the schools these days. And what I think is most important in all of that, I, I'm not a fan of critical race theory. There are some people that are interested in it. I think a parental bill of rights is crucial to parents being able to understand what is being taught to their kids. And it's not at the federal level, but at the state level, the backpack bills, I think, are incredibly important. Now, whether that shows up in tax credits federally, people should be able to choose how they want their children educated, and parents are the right people to make that decision. So I think we need to enable our parents to make those decisions. And I believe what you'll see is they'll choose real education, education on English, math, science as the focus of what they're looking for. And if someone wants to explore um, other topics and educate their kids in another way, they would have the opportunity to do that. I think at the core of wanting to be able to treat everyone equally, it, it's a great focus. It's a great initiative. It is how we should be living. But I think it's been hijacked as a concept to bring about social and political change at the, the student or the youth level. So um, when we look at uh, the 13th Congressional District primary, what is it that you would like people to think about you as running as a candidate as far as uh, as a potential uh, candidate that they that they want to vote for? What's your thoughts? Yeah, that? Chris, I, I think just really briefly, I'd love for them to go check me out and know um, that I am a, a transparent candidate. I'm here not to give narratives. I'm here to do the work and deliver results. I've been a Marine for over 20 years. Uh, working on the stability of governments and fixing economies. I think I bring a, a unique set of skills to this race. And alongside that, I think with many politicians or people in politics, you can have doubt. Over time, we've lost a lot of faith in the, the people that speak to us and make promises. I'll say from a personal side, I've had a, a top secret and higher clearance for over 24 years. I think it's like a, a credit check on my integrity in that there's no surprises here. I may not have been born a perfect person, absolutely, but having Uncle Sam look over your shoulder for the last 20-plus years keeps you on the straight and narrow, so you really you get what you see with me. We're talking with Chris Banwig. He is a uh, 
candidate for the 13th Congressional District in the Republican primary of March 19th. Chris, how can people follow your campaign, your website, and maybe social media? How can they follow you? Yeah, Chris, great question. I'm at Banweg4, spelled out, congress.com. And you can find me on uh, Twitter, X, and Facebook to just see what we're doing in the campaign um, and get in touch or attend an event. Please reach out because, to me, this is all about representing the people. And you can only do that when you get to talk to them and see what's on their minds and in their hearts. Well, very good. And we're glad you're going to be with us on the 22nd at the Freedom Banquet and Candidate Forum. And folks will have an opportunity to shake your hand and be able to talk to you that night as well. Chris, thanks for being my guest today. I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks again for having me. Again, uh, that was Chris Banwig. He's a candidate for the 13th Congressional District in the March 19th primary, and he is facing off against Kevin Coughlin. Both of them will be at the Ohio Christian Alliance Freedom Banquet on February 22nd. That's at the Akron Fairlawn Hilton. You can register for that event. It's a dinner program, our annual fundraiser, and uh, that's at our website at ohioca.org, or just search Ohio Christian Alliance. Also, we have as our keynote speaker for the dinner program is Bill Fetter of the American Minute, and Bill will be talking about socialism, which we're all fighting today, Marxist, everywhere we go, in the public schools, in government, and in everyday life. Uh, Marxism is on the move in America, and that is one of our main problems. <clears throat> and it's going to be the, the history of Marxism or socialism from Plato to the present with Bill Fetter. You're going to love that presentation. Uh, also, we'll have a meet and greet at 5.30. The candidate forum will start at 6 p.m., and the dinner program begins at 7. Again, you can register for it. It's just $75 a ticket. Uh, if you wanted to buy a table of 10, it's $700 for a table of 10, and that includes the entire program. Again, that's at our website at ohioca.org, or just search Ohio Christian Alliance. And so we're glad and we hope to see you out there. Also, the voter guide for the March primary will be available on our website on February the 20th, that same week, uh, as early voting begins on uh, February 20th. Most of us, I know, wait until Election Day, which will be the primary March 19th. But we will have the voter guide up and running. And so we have surveyed all the candidates running for Congress, the Ohio House, the Ohio Senate, and the U.S. Senate race. And we will have that information. And again, it's incumbent upon these candidates to fill out the survey and turn it in. And then we publish the results. We do not endorse candidates, uh, but we do uh, ask the questions and then publish the results. And you, the voter, decide. So, again, to follow all the great work that the Ohio Christian Alliance is doing and our team of volunteers statewide, you can find us at ohioca.org or just search Ohio Christian Alliance. I uh, also want to say that Bob France will be our MC for that candidate forum, so it's going to be an exciting evening. Again, all the uh, information for that event is on our website at ohioca.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless. You have been listening to News and Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is brought to you by the Ohio Christian Alliance.